Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got another great show lined up for you this weekend. Tony and I are going to talk about decks. Yeah, well, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to decks because there's so much about them. There are so many things. You, you may have a deck and you need to repair it, or you may not have a deck and you want one, and you don't know if it's going to be down on the ground or up off the ground. Is it going to require handrail? Is it not? Do you want to do wood or something different? There's so many things to talk about. The hardest thing that is that this show is going to present you and I, Corey, the hardest thing is, is trying to segment it in such a way that it comes off, uh, you know, coherently. Yeah, like a you know, like a storyline kind of thing. So that's going to be the challenge. Corey and I have um, done a lot with decks and decking, building decks, repairing decks, refinishing decks, all of those things. But uh, it all kind of is grouped into our brains, and so pulling it out in in segments that makes sense is going to be the biggest challenge here today. Well, pulling anything out of your brain <laughs> is a challenge. Is, is a challenge already a big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so yeah. that's uh, this is the time of year that we're talking about decking, everything decking, because it's absolutely gorgeous outside in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, that's where we want to be, outside. And if you've just got a concrete patio, and you're thinking, man, a big old beautiful wood deck would be nice out here, well, this is the show you want to listen to, because yeah. we're going to talk about all that stuff. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna break it down, like you said. We're gonna we're gonna try and segment this out into uh, if you're repairing, maybe you have a deck and you want to repair it, or you want to just maintain it. We're gonna talk a lot about maintenance, uh, but we're also gonna talk about building new. And there's so many codes that go along with building new. It's uh, it'll make your head spin. And so many decisions that you have to make about how you want it to look and how you want it to work, what you want it to do for you. You know, what, what do you want to get out of it in the end? So we'll be talking about all that stuff. Absolutely. So let's get started. Yeah, let's let's, let's say that you already have a deck. I know, Tony, you do. Yep. You have a deck on your front porch. I have sort of a wraparound deck. Yeah, it's, it's a wraparound big yeah. covered porch area. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about that. Let's say you have something. And you need to maintain it. Let's talk about maintenance right now because, you know, right now, spring. Yeah, let's talk about what your deck has just gone through over the last six months. Pummeled. 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 Right? It depends on, of course, what your what the area is like in your region or where you live. Or is your home in a place where you have a lot of tall trees? Uh, it's very humid. It doesn't get a lot of sunlight. Um, maybe, you know, you have got problems with mold or mildew growing on your deck. Maybe when you walk out on your deck in the wintertime. It's slippery. It, ooh, it's slimy. That's right? the worst. That is the worst. And so uh, you you now in the spring where the rain has slowed down or stopped and the sun is out, what do you do to revitalize your deck? It's kind of looking, um, it's kind of looking dark probably and and dirty, probably. Maybe it's got some stuff growing on it. What's the first thing we want to do to revitalize our deck that's in the spring? Well, like you said, if, it depends on what area you live in. If you're living in an area where it's super hot during the summer, like in central Oregon or eastern Washington, uh, your deck's going to look differently than, say, somebody that lives here in the valley 
where it just gets pounded with rain and mildew and moss. Where a river runs through it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the first thing you'd want to do if you have an old mildewy deck is to clean it. You want to get all of that moss and mildew, that green-colored stuff off of there. Uh, but you have to be very careful on how you do that. Yeah, the very first thing somebody wants to do, because it seems like the simplest and easiest and most effective, they want to pull out their pressure washer, fire that baby up, and just start, you know, peeling away at the top layer of the deck to get all that yucky stuff off and expose the most beautiful part of it. Which you can do. Yeah. You can do that. But you run a very high risk of ruining that wood. That's underneath it, yeah. especially if you have cedar, if you have a nice cedar deck, it is so soft. And if you get too close with that pressure washer, it'll just turn it super fuzzy, like Tony's face. Yes. Super fuzzy. Very fuzzy. And you can't get that to go away unless you sand it. And It's not a soft fuzzy. It's a hard fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And you walk on a deck after you have pressure washed it and done it too closely or been too rough with it. And it's poking at the bottom of your feet, and it's uh, it's unpleasant. It's absolutely terrible. Like, it's like having a, a something in your hand that's splintery, right? You just don't want to have. You want it to be smooth and uh, and pretty, and then you're gonna have to go and put a finish on it. And if it's all feathered back because you were rough with the pressure washer, you're gonna have a really hard time with that. Absolutely. And then you're gonna want to sand it. Oh, can you imagine? No, uh, you know I have uh, I've lent my sanding tools to friends before they, order to sand they, their they deck have surface. Asked me, hey, would you come over and help me sand my deck? And I always say, no, <laughs> have <laughs> yeah. fun. Uh, but yeah, I've lent my palm sanders. I've, I've lent my uh, belt sander. I even lent my uh, thickness planer out. Oh man. And it That's came back uh, almost ruined. Oh no. But uh, you don't want to do it. It's so much work. I even had a buddy of mine who owns a, deck our home with a, an e-pay deck on the back and it southern facing so it just gets tons and tons and tons of weather of weather and sun and in the summertime that stuff just starts to buckle up they have it they, it wasn't fastened properly he asked me what he should do to fix the problem and honestly the only thing that you can do at that point um, is add fasteners to it uh, but that decking is cupped and it's really difficult to get epay to sit back down oh yeah it doesn't look like they properly crowned the deck boards uh, but anyway it say it you know the edges were curling up so what he did was he rented a uh like a floor sander yeah right like he went there with a floor like a sander two foot round and went through like three hundred dollars worth of sandpaper walk behind sander yeah oh man and it, and it somewhat worked you know it somewhat worked it looked great he put a new coat of stain on it and the next year, it's still looking pretty shabby. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said about maintenance. Yeah. So when you're making the decision about how you're going to clean it, your first course of action should be maybe some sort of a detergent. Um, there's a lot of manufacturers of detergent out there, like Super Deck makes it. Detergent? You made that word up. No, no, it's not. It's a. It's not. It's a detergent. Yeah. <laughs> that's what uh, I think. That's what uh, Super Deck calls their deck detergent. They call it detergent. <laughs> Um, but there's a uh, there's there's word. a few manufacturers out there. Penafin makes it, Sunfrog makes it, um, Superdeck makes it. You can get all those products at Par Lumber Company. Yeah, there's wood cleaner, but then there's also wood brightener. Yeah, there's also wood stripper. And you know we should talk about the difference between those things as well. Yeah, you know, and this is we're going to talk a little bit today about 
stains and finishes and how to choose the correct one. And in my opinion, it's penetrating oil all the way. Because if you have a, a water-based you know, product that sits on the surface, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, that it sits on the surface and when it dries out or or you know becomes to the end of its life, it starts to peel. Ugh. And if you have a, a product like that that starts to peel, you have to strip it. Yeah, there's you do. no way around it. We're actually going to talk about that and so much more when we come back. We've got to take a quick break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. the weekend warriors home improvement show thanks for staying with us today in the show tony and i are talking about decks all things decks all things decks but i want to take a second if you haven't already go check out our facebook and instagram we're at ww home show uh right now we're recording this on youtube we're uh, broadcasting this on youtube as a video podcast so if you want to go uh, check that out please feel free uh or you can go to our website at wwhomeshow.com and uh, you can listen to our podcasts there. Uh, what else, Tony? Also, if you're familiar with the PAR website, PAR Lumber, Corey and I both work for PAR Lumber, you can go to PAR.com, P-A-R-R.com, click on the Weekend Warriors link, and it will take you right to our website. That's right. So, uh, yeah, all of our contacts. So if you want to email us, that's on there, too. Yep, so absolutely. We get a lot of questions and comments, so we love it. Yeah, we do love it. Uh, always good to uh, to hear from the listeners and and what how they feel about what we've said and and uh, love we, to share more. We help where we can. Absolutely. So we're talking about uh, we were really talking about getting onto your deck after the winter months and and what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is clean it. We talked about we cautioned a little bit about using a pressure washer. We're not telling you you can't use a pressure washer to clean your deck. Absolutely, you can, but you need to be conscious or aware of the psi. Um, was it pounds per square inch of water that your pressure washer is, is giving you, right? And then you also need to be aware of the distance between the nozzle and the deck surface. And lastly, the type of nozzle that you're using. They make fan nozzles and they make stream nozzles. And if you've got a stream nozzle... And you're probably going to cut a hole in your deck or you're definitely going to damage the surface of your deck and you just don't want to do that. Uh, a nice fan nozzle, six, 12 or 16 inches away. 12 is probably too close, actually. Yeah, again, it depends on the PSI. Right. It uh, depends on the, the pattern of the fan. But yeah, if you get within, I would say if you got within six inches, it's probably too close. Yeah. It just depends. I mean, these pressure washers can etch concrete. Oh, yeah. If you're pressure washing your driveway, you can actually mar your driveway with a pressure washer. I mean, this water uh, is very, it's a formidable tool. And while it works good, it can easily be misused. And you have, have to be You want to hear a really dumb story of I something do. I did? When I was a teenager, my mom had uh, tasked me with cleaning out the gutters. And I was up on the roof 
And I was like, I'm going to use the pressure washer, oh. which was dumb to start with, right? Because as soon as you put I'm it in there, already imagining splat, you know, it just yeah. kind of blasts out of there, you know, getting everything filthy. This giant cloud of oh, yeah. dirty, torn up leaves. Just yeah. so dumb, right? So I'm up there and I'm like, this is the way to do it. I'm pressure washing it out and it's making this huge mess. You know, rotten leaves flying everywhere. Anyway, I get the, the hose kind of pinched. A little bit and the pressure washer keeps dying out you know like and it, yeah. and it finally dies out again and you know my mom's down on the ground i'm like hey you know what's what's going on with this stupid thing she's like i don't know i'm like i'm like look and i put my finger over the tip of the pressure washer and then it fired back up oh of course it did and right that in that thing, moment it cut a hole right in my finger in your skin yeah i mean it hurt so bad and i could not believe how deep that hole was yeah so be very careful. Yeah, they uh, they really do. They do a great, great job, but you need to use it responsibly. So we're not telling you not to, but we are telling you this. A, a, a stiff bristled brush with a long handle, and a bucket with warm water and some detergent in there, deck detergent or, or the like. Um, there's lots of products out there. 30 seconds is a, a brand of a product. 30 um, seconds outdoor cleaner. Yeah, 30 seconds outdoor cleaner. There's a lot of products out there. You know what? If it's about cleaning your deck, go get one. Try it out. See if you like it. Next time, try something different maybe. But get a cleaner and, and a stiff bristle brush and brush it and clean it. If, if afterwards, after you've brushed it and it still didn't come clean and you're dreading the thought of brushing the entire deck again, then maybe get that pressure washer out and give it a shot. Yeah. Um, but, but just keep be in responsible. Mind, keep in mind, you're not going to get that gray color off. The gray color is, if you, especially if you have a cedar deck, the gray color is the color of the wood, and you're not going to pressure wash that away. If you try to pressure wash that away, that's when you're going to ruin the wood fiber. If you have it, if it's gray, you want to use a product that we talked about earlier called wood brightener. Mm -hmm. That'll take that gray silver color away and make it more of a bright, you know, uh, fresh wood color. Right. Uh, and then you can stain over top of that, and it'll look. Like new again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a product uh, made by um, Sunfrog called Born Again. Same type of product. It's a it's a wood brightener, and so you you want to get the deck clean first and remove the debris, the stuff that's on it that uh, that isn't supposed to be there, and that will leave some gray behind, depending on how old your deck is. But then the brightener will bring that back. You just have to do it in steps, and so uh, being patient. And trying all of your things will ultimately result you in in what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would say too that when you're maintaining your deck every spring, uh, as before you put your coat of stain down or whatever you're gonna do, after you've cleaned it, check all the fasteners. I've been on so many decks where fasteners have broken off, the heads have broken off, and there's loose boards or the gap you know, it's just so large or a piece of wood, maybe one of the pieces of deck boards has split, you know, and it's just unsafe. You can replace those. That's the great part about cedar. Yeah. You could pull it out, put a new one in, and it's going to look slightly different than the old boards that are there. But once you've gotten it down and put a fresh coat on everything of stain, it kind of blends right in. Yeah. It'd be so much less noticeable. Oh yeah. And you'd be really glad you did it. While you're doing that, um, there are other things you should check. Uh, depending on whether your deck is down close to the ground or up off of the ground a little bit, you want to check the framing underneath the deck too. 
Um, here's a good tip. If you can get to some of the support posts or even one of the support posts underneath your deck, take just take a little hammer and just tap on the side of it. Does it feel really firm and like uh, it's it's your hammer is bouncing right off of it like uh, like it's really good and strong? That's important. If you tap on it and it feels kind of soft or or maybe a little pithy, or you, if it's not holding the deck up, you or, know, it feels just kind of flopping around in there. Or if the, the post is not actually sitting on the concrete foundation that's underneath it. Um, these are all signs that something about your deck is off and, uh, and you want to do some more investigation. But before you put that coat of stain on it and your mind says, well, it looks, looks like good. I, looks like I'm done. Yeah. Make sure you check the structural of the deck because... They won't, wood decks will not last forever. They simply won't. Right. And while nobody wants to shell out a bunch of money to fix it, you also don't want to shell out a bunch of money because it failed and someone got hurt. Well, you know, one of the biggest, essentially the uh, every deck failure uh, stems from one thing, right? It's the, the, the failure of the wood structure. If right. the structure of the wood fails then the whole deck's going to come down. It is. It happens all the time. You see it in the news where you get, you know, a second story deck, you know, with the prom party over there, and you've got 15, 20 kids sitting out on the deck rail getting a really nice picture, and the deck collapses. You know, people get injured or worse. So what Tony's talking about is super important. And I actually have a story about a deck that I worked on that, needed severe structural mm -hmm. upgrades, yeah. which we did. Yeah, we took care yeah. of it and we did it. Mm -hmm. um, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but you make a really good point and it's super easy to check that stuff. Yeah, I can also touch on uh, one of the last decks that I helped to replace and you would not believe the, you would not believe the irresponsibility of the person who built that and left it assumingly safe when it really wasn't. Another thing I want to talk about um, going forward is the pressure-treated framing material that's underneath your deck. A lot of people say, well, it's pressure-treated, and pressure-treated doesn't rot, so it should be good to go. Well, pressure-treated or not, all wood has a lifespan. And in addition to that, you don't know how the people that built it treated that treated. So we'll cover that right after this break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now... Here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. Today, Tony and I are talking about decks and deck maintenance right now. Uh, first couple segments here, we covered how to clean them and maintain them. And before the break, we were talking about checking the structural integrity of the deck that you have. If you have... A uh, second story deck, it's even more important, you know, than, a, say, something on the ground sitting on sleepers. Right. Those little uh, strips of wood, if it's sitting right on the ground, they'd call those sleepers. But anything off the ground, 
because it's it. because they're very tired. Yeah. Those, they're so tired. They're so tired that they're now sleeping. They should call them lazies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just lay there. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Hey, we actually posed a few possibilities right before we were going to the break, and we should cover those things. Um, we were talking about, uh, well, the, what I mentioned was pressure-treated lumber. You think about pressure-treated lumber, which is um, pressure-treated so that it won't rot or decay. That's what pressure-treated lumber is. It's lumber that's been treated so that it won't rot or decay. But pressure-treated lumber has a life as well. And that's, and that's if, it was, if it was properly installed when it was done. If you have a piece of pressure-treated lumber, like a 2x6 joist, for example, and, and your deck is you know, 11 and a half foot deep, and you've got a 12-foot joist, and you cut six inches off, that end is susceptible because you've cut off the treated end and you need to treat the end of that material in order to protect it from rot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people out there, as you and I have both seen, will cut the treated lumber and then not treat the end. And that lumber is susceptible to rot now. If that starts to rot, the structure of your deck starts to rot, then the integrity of your deck is compromised. You need and it to won't get it and start check rotting that. immediately. No, it'll take some years. It does take years. And, but what'll happen first is it'll get soft. Right. And then when it gets soft, the fasteners tend to loosen up. Right. And then when they loosen up, the whole deck starts moving. It starts to feel, you know, rickety a little bit. Yeah. And when it starts down that path, it gets even worse. Yeah. Water more and more moisture get in, and it accelerates. And that's not just caused, what you're talking about, that's not just caused by not treating the ends. You know, you can get that sort of, um, that sort of wriggly movement in the structure of your deck uh, if it's not tight. Like, if you're hanging a joist between two beams, and the distance between the beams is 11 foot 2, and you cut that joist at 11 foot 1, and you split the difference between each end, and you've got a half an inch gap between the joist and the beam at each hey, well, end. That's good enough. Yeah, and you put, you're like, it's in a hanger. It's in a hanger. Well, that's just one little part of a whole deck system. And the whole deck system moves around. And if it's not tight, that will start to move back and forth. And it will sort of get wriggly. And when it gets wriggly, that same thing happens. Connectors start to come loose. And fasteners start to come loose. And the next thing you know, you have a weak spot in your deck. And you don't want that, for sure. That's, that's another one of the things that can happen over the years. And you want to get in there and see that. So you can see whether or not it's something that needs to be repaired or replaced. Right. And then and that kind of takes me to my story a little bit. Um, I worked on a deck for my uncle, and they wanted an ex they wanted to extend the deck that they had. They had a little 8x8, eight eight and they wanted to essentially double it in size. They wanted a 8x16 deck. And I said, well, you know, it's possible. What we have to do is just go on. It'll go in there. We'll, we'll cut back the siding. We'll put a piece of ledger on and just extend this current deck which was in fairly good shape. We'll just extend it, make it bigger. Well, when we got out there, me and a buddy of mine, we climb under the original deck and we start working on the siding, cutting it back, installing a piece of flashing, putting the ledger on. Well, what's required of decks is to have that ledger, which sits on the house, to be fastened to the house tightly. Just and with very strong fasteners. Just to the sub sheeting? 
No. <laughs> you know, and that's the when you think about you have to think about how construction works. You have um, you know, the exterior siding, then you have the exterior sheathing, and then you have your wall studs. So depending on where you're fastening that deck, sometimes if you're fastening it like on a second story, there's a floor in between the lower walls and the upper walls. There's that floor diaphragm. And around the perimeter of that floor structure, those joists, there's what's called rim board. And if you have a deck attached to your rim board, it's different. You can just fasten it into that rim board. Because the rim board is fastened to the structure of the home. Correct. But if you're fastening it and anywhere else, like, uh, for instance, this house, the deck was fastened to a pony wall. So the, the deck, you know, the backyard sloped away. And in the crawl space on the back of the house, there was uh, the foundation down low. And then they built pony wall is what it's called on top of that to bring it flush level with the rest of the floor system. Right. So this deck ledger was attached to that pony wall. Not only did they not fasten it to the house properly, they just they just used 16 penny nails, one 16 penny nail on every other stud. There were literally on this eight foot deck, there were four nails holding it up. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, when you walked out on that thing, if you would have had any more than four or five people out on that thing, it would have collapsed away from the house. Oh, yeah. And that is tremendously irresponsible to do that. So what we did was we went inside the house, we searched, we found where the studs were, we located them, and we we drew uh, ledger locks made by Fasten Master, these heavy-duty screws. Uh, a ledger lock is about what, five sixteenths in diameter? Yeah, or maybe three-eighths, yeah. Three-eighths, and it replaces a half-inch lag screw. Mm-hmm. It's as strong as a half-inch lag screw. So we dropped two of those in on every single stud, 16 inches on center, all the way down that ledger to hold it steadfast to the house. Mm-hmm. And that is so important to do that. Absolutely. If you look at modern code when you're building a deck, a lot of jurisdictions require uh, deck-to-wall fasteners like uh, Simpson Strong Tie makes a hold down called a DTT2Z. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it fastens to uh, your deck joist that's perpendicular, right, to your ledger. And what you have to do is drill a hole through your ledger, through the uh, rim board or sheathing. And you have to tie it in with a ledger or to the joists on the inside of the structure yeah, with threaded rod yeah, or a long bolt. Right. And that just creates even more uh, stability, stability, especially in a a zone like we're in with uh, the uh, earthquakes that we get here on the West Coast. Yeah, that that is the epitome of really making a super strong connection to the house. The ledger board is so pivotal. It's so important. It's literally one of the most important things you'll do. Uh, I had a similar situation. I was replacing my sister-in-law's deck. It was a, it was a, it was a elevated deck, but it was only six feet off the ground, but we were able to go underneath the deck and she actually was originally thinking, you know, it would be great if I could just redeck it, you know? Um, And, and we walked out of the house through the patio door onto the deck and it was 
if I just moved my hips left to right, that deck shook, right? And I'm like, whoa. Shimmied. Yeah, shimmied. Any shimmy at all on a deck that you're standing on is a problem. Any. I mean, the tiniest little bit is a problem. That thing should be solid as a rock, right? And so uh, we already recognized there was a problem. We got underneath there, and sure enough, here's the ledger board. Looked normal, flashed, right? Everything was looked super, super sweet. 12 penny nails, nailed it to the house and not into the studs. It was not even fastened into the studs. Not only were the nails way too small and too few, but they weren't even in places where they would make the most difference. And so we literally pulled that off with our bare hands. So you wouldn't want that. You got to check that out. We got to talk more about that after this break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. show built by par lumber now here's tony and Corey. hey welcome back to the weekend warriors home improvement show thanks for staying with us today uh, today tony and i are talking <laughs> about decks yeah and before the break you you were talking you were telling a story about your sister-in-law's deck that was barely attached barely to the wall six feet off the ground with 12 penny nails, which is not enough, nope. A, and B, they weren't even fastened into anything solid. Nope, they weren't fastened. They were fastened, fastened in. into the, the wall sheathing. Yep, it's absolutely That's insanity. Truth. Yeah, it was crazy. You have to think about your ledger as the backbone of your deck. Absolutely. You, you would, know. I mean, it seems feasible that the posts and the concrete footings would be the backbone. But the thing is, if it's not attached to the house... It, then it can fall over. And it doesn't matter how many concrete footings you've got sitting underneath it. If it's not attached to the house, if it's not attached to the house, but it was intended to be attached to the house, then it can fall over. You can build a deck that's not attached to your house. Freestanding. Yeah, you freestanding. Can. And you it can. can be strong. And it doesn't need that ledger. But you have to build it in that way with that in mind. Uh, this one was built to be attached to the house and simply was not properly attached to the house. It was, yeah, danger. Super, super dangerous. So we said all that to say this, if you're about to refinish your deck to, to, to make it through another summer, don't just throw stain on it and call it good. So, yeah. Get in there, research it, check it out, check the wood, see if it's strong, check the fasteners, make sure they're not coming out. Here's another thing. If the deck has a shimmy. If the deck has a big, shimmy. Big problem. It's probably there, time it, to replace it. There's a few other things, and you're probably going to mention one right now, but there's a few other things that you need to look for. When you're under there looking at that deck framing. Yeah. Well, corrosion is one. Yes. Uh, you know, decks are put together with a lot of metal. Metal nails. Metal or should be. <laughs> metal, yeah, should be. Metal connectors or even metal screws. Screws are great. Nothing wrong with screws. But if the screw doesn't have a coating on it that protects it from corrosion when it's used with pressure-treated lumber, then it's not going to last. Uh, Pressure-treated lumber is treated with copper azoles. And those copper azoles... Uh, they they don't like some nail finishes, right? Yeah, they they create uh, dissimilar metals. You know, if you're into chemistry, which I'm not, 
<laughs> but w- from what I know, uh, dissimilar metals uh, create a catalyst and they will corrode much faster because you have zinc in nails and copper in the wood mm-hmm. that when those come together, it just creates corrosion. Right. And if you use, like, say, an interior grade screw or an interior grade nail that doesn't have that proper coating, like hot dipped galvanizing or, you know, epoxy coating. Sometimes they have different uh, ceramic coatings that work really well. And you can see those on the box when you buy them. It'll say, you know, ACQ compatible sometimes. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, you make a great point. If you don't use those right nails, you're going to have a big problem. Yeah. And the same thing goes for metal connectors. Simpson Strong Tie, for instance, probably the one of the most popular uh, metal connector on the market. They make specific hangers for pressure treated material. So if you're going into the store and you're buying your deck materials and you say, well, I'll get this hanger right here because it's it's a dollar fifty or that one it looks the same, but it's three twenty five. Yeah, it's three twenty five. I'll save myself fifty bucks by buying these cheaper hangers. That is Huge problem. Yeah. Huge problem because of the same reason. Those special hangers have a special coating on them that resists the corrosion from the copper in the pressure-treated lumber. So, and the other thing to keep in mind is, again, if you're having maintenance, uh, a maintenance schedule on your deck this year and you're working on it, there was a period of time where pressure-treated lumber was treated with What's the word? It was CCA was the code. Um, what was it called? I don't remember. Yeah. It, anyway, it was an old, it used arsenic. Yeah. That's okay. what it was. And then during the, what was it, Clinton, Bill Clinton, he, they passed this law that said, you know, no more arsenic in pressure treated lumber. I remember this because kids were eating, you know, the wood at the playgrounds and they were getting whatever. Right. They were afraid right. of people getting sick with the arsenic. So right. they banned it. All arsenic in residential use, no longer. So they had to find another treatment that was good enough, right? right? Because people had this expectation because putting arsenic into the wood worked really great, Mm -hmm. you know? So they came up with this copper azole. It's all natural. It's it's not going to kill you. Right, right. And uh, during that period of time, people didn't know. They didn't understand that copper and zinc would create this problem. Right. So there was a long overlap period. Yes. Where people were, it was a learning curve where people were understanding, Hey, I, I built this deck two years ago yeah. and this, this metal hanger has already corroded away and it's gone. What in the world has happened? Yeah. I was using electro galvanized nails in this deck that I built at the beach and those nails have disintegrated. They're disappeared. gone. Disappeared completely. So what's if you happening? Have, if you have a deck on your home that is more than, I would say, more than 10 years old, maybe 10 to 12 years old or older, pay special attention. Go under that thing. Look at the hangers. Look at the post caps. Look at the post bases. All of the hardware on that deck. The nails. If you see rust, that is a surefire sign that they are probably not the proper nails or hangers that should have been used in that application. Right. If you're at the beach... I was at my uncle's house at the beach. He owns a uh, a house out there, and it's, I don't know, 100 yards from the ocean? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what do I need? What do I do here? All of these hangers are in bad shape. And I go out there, sure enough, 
hundreds. This deck is gigantic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's probably 20 by 80, mm -hmm. you know, wraps around the whole back of the house. It's this gigantic deck, and there's probably 200 hangers under there. Wow. All of them were just regular old hangers at the beach Yeah, that were just corroded. So, I mean, I told them, I'm like, I wouldn't even walk out on this deck mm -hmm. until you get this fixed. So they had to get special custom-made stainless steel hangers that were wide enough that could go over the old hangers so they yeah. didn't have to destroy the whole thing and rebuild it. Yeah, so Simpson has started to make stainless steel hangers in very common sizes. Uh, they're expensive, um, but if you're doing something at the beach, it's really the only way. They haven't got a full line of stainless steel products to replace all the products that they have in in uh, zinc alum or in Z-coated uh, or even in the regular uncoated hangers. But there are some, and you can have them made if you need to for your application. Yep. But um, but at the very least, make sure that you have a, a Z-Max. If it's a Simpson hanger, make sure you have a Z-Max hanger that is coated for use with treated material. Make sure you're using screws that are coated for use with pressure-treated material. And uh, if, if all else fails, uh, a stainless steel fastener is definitely... Um, the way to go. It's definitely an option. Yeah, that you. well, that is the you spend right, the little, gold standard. Yes, yeah, the gold standard. You, you'll spend a little bit more money, but you'll definitely be happy with it, and you won't have to replace it. I do want to say something real quick about screws in general. Uh, when you're shopping for screws, you have to be careful about the screws that you're buying. Uh, they have you have to make sure that they're structural. Not all screws are intended to be structural. A Nail, for instance, like if you have a 16-penny nail versus a three-and-a-half-inch just standard screw, that screw might not necessarily be structural because the thing about nails is they have a really high shear. Right, right. So if you nail it into your whatever, hanger, that where you get the strength is, it won't shear off. Right. Where a lot of screws are non-structural yeah. screws that yeah. are, are not rated for that right. they will just shear right off yeah the diameter of a lot of screws out there are is smaller because there's a lot of use for screws that aren't in that structural application sure. so uh you just need to know what you're buying and if you have a question about it um you know ask the ask your local par lumber employee uh one of your front counter sales guys and they can certainly help you determine which screws would be the best for your application yeah i used to see it all the time people would frame things with sheetrock screws oh yeah all the time know? and it's they're just not structural you give it a good whack with a hammer snap all of them in half yeah it's so. absolutely i mean they make them as small as a six a number six or a number seven those are uh, very very small diameter screws and uh, they will share the head will just come right off yep yeah so uh yeah so that's that's really what we're talking about um, and then once you've done that and you feel really confident about your deck, the posts and the supports, the fasteners and the, and the brackets and all of the things that it's put together with, that's the time really that uh, you go ahead and put that final coat of stain on it. And then you know it's good to go for another year. Um, we should talk a little bit, you know, we should talk a little bit more probably about the stain you're choosing. You did say it needs to be a penetrating oil stain and not something other than that. Well, that's my opinion. Well, we should talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to Tony and Corey. Your weekend warriors don't go away because we'll be right back.
Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. I'm Corey Valdez. I am still Tony Cookston. Thanks for sticking around with us. Yeah. Today, Tony and I are talking about decks. Yes. And we spent the whole first half of the show talking about deck maintenance. Yeah. Making sure that the structure is strong and stable and that you have the correct fasteners, the correct hangers. Uh, one other thing before we get into the actual staining process is... We've talked before about um, switching from like a wood or a cedar to uh, a composite. And one of the things to keep in mind, and I've heard this question all the time, people are tired, they don't want to put down uh, stain anymore, and they just want to put down composite. Well, you have to be cautious. You have to think about the on-center spacing of your deck framing. Your deck has joists, and those joists are put together uh, typically uh, uh, 24 inches on center for a wood deck like cedar. Uh, For a two-by. Yeah. For a two-by wood deck. Right. Um, So other decking materials like five-quarter cedar, you have to have 16 on center. Right. Um, EPAY, one-by EPAY, like one-by six, that will span 24 on center. So it's just depending on what you have. But if you're coming into Par Lumber to buy composite decking, you say, I'm just tearing off the old cedar. I want to put composite decking down on top of it. Um, here, get me, here's my lengths. Be cautious because you have to realize that composite decking requires 16 inches on center. and on, In the field. In the field. And 12 inches on center at the stairs. Right. 12 inches on center. And some of them even recommend 8 inches on center. Mm. So it's... You, you just have to think about that, and it's not the end of the world. If you look under your deck framing and it's 24 inches on center, you can come in and add joists. You know, add a joist between everyone, essentially having 12 inches on center. That's not going to kill the budget. Right. It's probably going to add 100 bucks, uh, but you'd be way better off. Yeah, absolutely. The, the actual framing portion of the deck, the framing timbers, uh, whether it's two by six or two by eight or whatever it is, that's actually the least expensive part of the deck. The understructure, the more expensive, of course, is the decking surface and then the subsequent handrail if it's required. Yeah, that's where all the money is. So anyway. beefing your deck up, making it stronger by adding joist, is not where that's not the budget killer. Yeah, so it's important um, to give that good consideration. Um, so we've decided that we that the deck is is feeling good, right? It's good and strong, no shimmy, right? That's important, and um, and we're gonna go ahead and put a coat of stain, right? You were talking earlier in the show about not using something that left a solid surface on the deck, right? Yeah, that's my opinion, and the reason I say that is because I've seen lots of decks, and I've used lots of deck products uh, that ha- that sit on the surface. They're like an acrylic uh, base that they, you know, you paint them on like a semi-transparent stain. A lot of manufacturers make them and they claim, oh, they're the best things in Swiss cheese. But in my opinion, uh, I've seen them, you know, Yeah, there's peel. a lot of, yeah. They peel, peel up. That's just one major 
uh, issue. You know, there's more to be said about that too. And of course, Corey and I don't manufacture deck finishes no. or, and we're not contractors necessarily, but and I don't even have a deck, but, uh, but there's, there's, there's conversation about, um, not allowing the deck to breathe through the top of the deck board because it's got a solid surface now on the top. And so any moisture that's leaving the deck has to go out through the bottom. And uh, that's, that can be, I the way I understand it, that can be problematic, causing the board to swell at the bottom where the moisture is going out and uh, not at the top, which causes checking and splitting. So there's, there's more. And like I said, we... Uh, we we don't manufacture the stuff, right? But uh, but we are firm believers in a penetrating oil stain, which soaks into the wood and protects it from the inside out. And it doesn't require a stripper to take it off when you're ready to put a second coat on. You can put right over the top, just like if you were staining, um, putting an oil an oil finish on a piece of furniture. Yeah. No. And, yeah. And you've done a lot of that. Yeah. You just add coats. Yeah. You just add and coats. Like Tony said, there's a Penafin, for instance. A Super Deck makes one. Penafin makes one. Sunfrog. Uh, there's a lot of penetrating oils out there. Uh, we I sell a ton of Penafin, and the reason is exactly that. You put it down. The next year, you put another coat. A couple more years go by. You want to put another coat in? You put another coat down. You don't have to do that scraping and you know, pressure washing and stripping the, the old you know, product, product off. off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, it's so much nicer when you're putting down, um, Penafin, for example, or super deck, these products generally, generally require that you put down two coats. You would put the decking on the board, ideally with a brush or a roller. Because as you're brushing or rolling it on, it's working that into the wood, which is what you want to do. But you want to put it on liberally, not so much that you end up with a puddle. You don't want to yeah, have you puddles. You don't want puddling because it'll gel and right. kind of get sticky. Oh, yeah. It's not it's not a good situation. You don't want that. So you want to avoid that. And you, the way you do that after you've covered the entire deck or if you're doing it in sections after you've covered your section, then you want to go back and wipe it back. So apply it liberally and then wipe it back with a like an old t-shirt, some t-shirt type material, something that doesn't leave pills behind. Uh, definitely not anything made out of paper that can come apart. That'll just drive you crazy. No Charmin. Right, no. <laughs> and so um, so you put that on liberally and you wipe it back and then let that sit. And then after you've let it sit for a while, then you put another coat on, wipe it back, and then you've got something accomplished. Um, it can be a challenge, you know, getting from point A to point Z on your deck and getting the whole thing done. Um, what are your thoughts, Corey, on spraying deck oil on a deck? With, I don't, uh, with like a uh, like, like a, a pump sprayer. Yeah, like a pump sprayer. I don't. I don't know. I don't have thoughts on that. I've never tried it. I don't really know anybody that has done it. I mean, if you look at the manufacturer's installation instructions, recommendations, recommended yeah. on how you. Uh, apply that product. I don't think there is any for spraying. So I would say no, but I'm, I'm not positive. I get that question a lot. Yeah. Um, people ask me that a lot and I tell them that that same thing. I say, well, they recommend that you use a brush or a roller. Well, even if you sprayed it on, you'd still have to back brush it and yep. you'd probably still have to back wipe. You'd have to all still have to excess. wipe it back. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't see a clear benefit in spraying it on other than 
easier application. Maybe if you have a handrail, yeah, it would be easier to spray. I'll tell it you up. where a really great place is to use that pump sprayer and that stain is on your fence. <laughs> Fences are good for pump spraying stain. Uh, I've pump sprayed several fences in my time and uh, seems to get right in those areas and get it all done. Of course, you don't have to wipe that back. Just let it drip right off, right? And so that's a good application for that. If you're just dying to use your pump sprayer with your stain, put a fresh coat on your fence. <laughs> That'll make you happy. Um, so that's that's pretty much it for uh, for staining. We got a lot more stuff to cover. You won't want to miss it. Don't go away. You're listening to Tony Corey, your Weekend Warriors. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. If you haven't already, go check us out on our Facebook and Instagram. We're at WW Home Show. Uh, we're also recording this show right now on video podcast. It'll air on YouTube. So go subscribe to that and watch those, like those, leave your comments there. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, you can go to par.com. That's P-A-R-R.com. Click on the Weekend Warriors link and both Tony and I's information is there. You can send us questions or comments. We'd be happy to help. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so we've been talking about decks today, and we kind of covered the whole first half. We covered if you have a deck, maintaining it, proper maintenance, making sure that it's still structurally strong. Uh, but let's let's shift gears, Tony. Let's say we want to build a deck. Yeah. Where do we start? Well, I mean, the first thing you want to do is decide how big it's going to be and where it's going to go. How it's going to look. I mean, draw a picture. I think the first thing you do is draw a picture. Um, I love to draw pictures of projects. It's like my favorite thing to do. Me too. So it's it's where I start always. And then I draw it like 42 times. And then I send it to Corey. He picks it apart. And then I draw it again. <laughs> and then eventually he says, hey, that was a pretty good drawing. I'm like, all right, I'm on it. So anyways, it's always fun because it's easier when you go to get material quotes, right? It's easier if you can convey your mental picture of what you want, and the, old, the easiest way to do that is to draw a picture of it. Now, let's take that one step further, right? Maybe instead of drawing a picture, you already know what size you want it to be. You can go to Par Lumber Company, for example, and you can say, this is the size of the deck that I want. Can you show me what it's going to look like when it's done? Par Lumber Company and, and building material suppliers all over have a, a, some sort of software, a, some sort typically. of software that you can they can put in a deck size and it'll print out a little picture. You can even sometimes go onto the internet and find a small tool and a, a cheap, not cheap, a simple tool where you can, you know, draw your deck on there and get an idea what it's going to look like. Yeah. But really, the vision is the first thing. Yeah, I you know I tend to think depending on your situation, right? If you have just a ton of money and you don't care what a deck costs. <laughs> you just say, this is what I want and this is what I'm getting. But I think for the the average person, they should find out what the thing costs before they start, you know, putting the sky's the limit. Sure. You know, I, I worked at the front counter at Par Lumber Company for many years and probably the number one thing that people would do, they would come in with this drawing. On and a napkin. Say, yeah, and I want this as the deck. I want it, you know, 30 feet by 100 feet by, you know, four stories with a hot tub and all of these things on it. And then when they realized that the that was going to cost them 100 grand, 
they would go, oh, my goodness. Oh, I was thinking it would be like 5000 Yeah. You know, so they fi- you find out real quick what their budget is. Yeah. And unless you're knowing what you're going to go in and ask for, it's really difficult to say, well, yeah, I want this. I mean, if you're building a deck out of necessity and it's going to be have to be, you know, eight foot by four foot because it has to go here and that's where the entrance of your house is and you can't even get in your house without a deck, that's different. Yep. Uh, but... I always say recommend going in and looking at your different options and saying, okay, this decking is going to be about this price per square foot. The framing is going to cost you about this price per square foot. And if it's more than 30 inches off the ground, you have to have a railing. So now it's going to cost you about this price per linear foot of railing. It's going to cost stairs. And if it's this far off the ground, now all of a sudden you have to have drawings drawn by an architect and you have to have engineering it gets pretty spendy pretty quick, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I say find out just a few simple questions, how much things are going to cost you. And that way you can go back and go, oh, well, I can afford maybe uh, this size deck. Or if I go out this way, I can maybe make it a little bit bigger for this amount of money. Yeah, I think that um, when you're trying to decide some of the things, some of them are going to be decided by necessity. Like, for example, oh, sure, you might be saying, well, I don't know if I want my deck to be more than 30 inches off the ground and require a handrail. Well, you might not have a choice because if you're going to be walking onto your deck from your back door or your side door or front door, do you want to be stepping down to your deck? Or you certainly don't want to be probably stepping up to your deck. And so the the deck surface, the height of the deck off of the ground is going to be predicated on your need. Where What is the need? What's the What's the distance from the floor? to the bottom of your door. That's the amount of room that you have to work with. And most of the time, that's not uh, very high. As a matter of fact, most of the time, you're kind of crammed for space right there. To yeah, get probably, mo- well, you know, it depends. Depends on the geography of where you live. If you're building a deck on the, uh, on the back of the house, underneath your patio door, which has been stepping out onto a concrete patio, I can tell you already, you got a tight little spot there. And uh, the distance between the top of the concrete and the bottom of the patio door is just barely enough probably to put some sleepers down and uh, make sure that you run them out level and then put a deck on top of that. But all of those decisions oftentimes are, are based on necessity. So knowing that all of those things, the things that you're tied to, the height or the width or the length of your deck, um, knowing that before you go in to get a price on it will make the process so much easier. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about things that could could potentially cost you more money just in design. For instance, I have seen deck plans by people that have gone to an architect or whatever and have had plans drawn up, and they bring these plans to us, and they say, I want to build this deck. And you look at that thing, and it's got pressure-treated glue lambs on a deck that are three feet off the ground. Yeah. If you over, know anything, over-engineered. if you think about anything or, or know anything about uh, construction, you'll know that that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The, here's the thing. If you have a pressure-treated glue lamb, for instance, it's going to cost you a thousand bucks for that beam easily. Then there, and if it's only two feet off the ground or three feet off the ground, there is no need for it at all. Because what you can simply do is put another pier pad in and shrink the size of that beam. So what I always say is to 
value design, any, any structure like that. If you're building a deck, you know, if it's 10 feet off the ground and you have a patio underneath it, yeah, you don't want piers and pads every four feet. You know, that's a different situation. That is where a beam like that would be required, where you would want to clear span something to have an opening down below of the deck versus th- two, three feet off the ground. You're just putting it in there to waste somebody's money. Yeah. So definitely talk to the professionals uh, at Par Lumber Company. You know, they, they are there to help. Um, I know I can help with, you know, span tables and, you know, simple things like that. Uh, we have a person on staff that can help you with beam calculations. You say, I have a deck this size. I need a deck beam to span, you know, every four feet. I mean, honestly, it's probably going to be like a four by six. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to put the smallest amount you can in there and be structurally strong. That's is what's going to save you the most amount of money. Yeah. Speaking of value engineering, uh, if you have, if you're, if you're designing your deck and you have a lot of space to work with and you get to choose, you know, where it's going to land or how tall it's going to be or whatever, um, there, you know, there's, there's less expensive ways to do it. For example, if you post up to a beam and you set your joist on top of the beam right. and you put your decking on top of the joist and you have all this height where you can have framing in there, that's the least expensive way to go. When you find yourself crammed into a tight little space where you you don't have all that and you have to hang your joist from your beam and you have to set your beam on the concrete and you have to pier block the entire length of the beam because you're there and you have to dig holes to get your, you know, you're now spending more money, but it's because of necessity. Yeah, you're increasing costs, but not necessarily. I've seen situations where, again, a deck is four feet off the ground and the architect has specified uh, hanging a beam, a flush beam in there. So then you're adding all of that expensive hangers. It just makes no sense sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Again, uh, a lot of that stuff will be predicated on necessity, but you just won't know until you start to build the vision in your mind, draw a little picture, get to the lumberyard, and get a quote. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today, Tony and I are talking about decks, uh, deck framing, deck maintenance. Uh, Before the break, we were talking a little bit about saving some money when designing a deck. Mm -hmm. And some of those situations where it necessarily isn't required to spend extra money on larger beams when you can add a post and a pier pad. Okay, how about this? Um, Is a permit required when building a deck? Sometimes. Okay, so the very first thing you got to do is find out whether or not there's a permit required. Oh, yeah. And then you got to find out what that costs and add that to your budget. That's important. You don't want to get caught building a structure that requires a permit and you don't have a permit. We talk about this all the time. Um, this is another one of those things where a lot of times, I would I would venture to say most times, if you're building a deck on your property and attaching it to your house or not, 
a permit is probably required. It depends on your jurisdiction. It probably depends on the size. It depends on a lot of things. But don't go into it blind and assume it's not necessary and then find out you have to destruct it or you have to pay an exorbitant amount of money in order to get it done. I, I don't even know, but I don't want to know either. So check that out. Yeah. Call it just, yeah, call a jurisdiction and ask. Yeah. Hey, I'm building this blank 10 by 10 deck. It's four feet off the ground. Do I need a permit? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's important. Um, Corey, if a permit is required, then does that mean that certain hangers and the way that the deck is built is also required? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, if, if you're pulling a permit, um, I imagine they would want uh, a predetermined drawing of that deck. In some jurisdictions, you may be okay drawing that yourself and specifying uh, what they call prescriptive path on if there's engineering required. Um, a lot of times the jurisdictions will send you a sample drawing or they'll have like some sort of packet of information. They say, you have to incorporate all of this into that deck. Mm -hmm. I've seen that before. So it is possible. um, But I, again, I'm not a contractor. Right, right. So I don't deal with these things every day. There are guys out there that will say to you, hey, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have a ledger board and I'm going to have a footer board and I'm going to fasten right through the ends of those right into the end of all of my joists. And I'm going to frame up a box. I'm going to set that box right on pier blocks at the front post up in the back, just to make it almost level, not completely level because there needs to be a drop. And then I'm going to deck it. I'm going to call it good. There's no hangers on it. Yeah. I mean, there's guys out there that will say that. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think that, um, that's fine. If there's not a permit that requires you to do it in a different way. Uh, that's fine. If it's not off the ground, it doesn't require a handrail. Um, that's fine for a lot of applications, but, um, you need to know, you have to check it out. You got to ask the question, call the local jurisdiction and find out. But, uh, there are certainly ways to value engineer a deck, right? But it all depends on the scope of the project. If your deck is up off the ground, you're not going to want to be cutting corners. You're not going to want to be building a deck that doesn't have connectors that hold it together and make it strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to build a deck that's not, you know, um, going to be as strong as it as it should be. I mean, that's especially if you're going to have people walking on it, right? Well, and here's another thing that people run into all the time when they come in and they start pricing out their deck. You know, there's something that's six, seven feet off the ground, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this deck's going to cost me X amount of dollars per square foot." The decking is this. I've made my decision. I'm going to build this deck. And then they have to get to the railing. And they forget that railing can range anywhere from 50 to 80 to well, yeah, $100 as cheap foot. as, you know, if you build it out of wood, you could build it for $20 a linear 25 foot. To yeah, $100 a linear foot. Yeah. It's really expensive. So if you have a large deck like that, uh railing could add 10 grand. I'm building my deck um, quite a ways off the ground. You know, it's not really a second story deck, but it's up off the ground quite a bit. There's a lot of airflow underneath there. Uh, I'm not going to use pressure treated lumber. I'm just going to use regular lumber because it's not <laughs> making ground contact. So it doesn't need to be treated, right? No. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That is- <laughs> you know, actually, <clears throat> it's it's not ridiculous if you live in central Oregon. Right. You know, they don't, they don't mm-hmm. use pressure treated lumber in central Oregon because it is so dry that it, it doesn't rot. They don't have 
pressure treated lumber over there typically. It's well, what, what happens to lumber that's not treated, that's plenty far off the ground and is not making contact with the ground? I mean, how does moisture get trapped there? How could it possibly rot? There is, you've got decking fastened tightly to the tops of those joists all the way across. And guess what? It doesn't get sunlight right there. I mean, that board is going to trap moisture there and that will cause it to rot. It's, it's guaranteed. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. So even though you think, but it's not touching the ground, it doesn't need to be treated. It's not a risk I'm willing to take. It's not a risk you're willing to take. No. Um, so um, if your four by fours are not sitting right on the concrete, but instead you've put um, roofing in between, you know, like um, composition roofing so that the block doesn't transfer moisture from the block to the wood. So it's okay then to not use pressure treated on your post. <laughs> these, I'm saying, Corey, these are the things we hear on a daily basis. I, you're right. Customers come to the counter and they say, look, this makes sense to me. If it's not transferring moisture from the concrete to the wood because I've put this barrier in there, then why do I need pressure-treated material? The fact is these are areas underneath the deck that doesn't get proper sunlight. These are areas that trap heat in the summer. Trapped heat and no sunlight and a wet climate results in moisture, and that moisture will rot your wood. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's making contact with the ground or making contact with the concrete. It's a good idea to separate your 4x4 from your concrete, even if it is pressure-treated. And if you cut that post and put it on that concrete, you make sure you end treat that 4x4 yep. because it's end cut solution. susceptible to rot, even if it's treated, if you don't put end cut solution on all your cuts. I'll give you a tip. They make end cut solution in spray can form. Oh, yeah. So and it's nice. amazing. Absolutely. Every time you spray cut, you just hit it with the spray can and you're done. Yep. That's all you got to do. Warranty intact. Everybody's happy. And you don't have to worry about that thing rotten. That's good. So earlier in the, the show, we talked about fasteners. And again, let's cover this again, because when you're building a new deck, this is just as important. You should always use the proper metal connectors that are compatible with pressure-treated lumber that is made with copper azoles or ACQ. You'll see hangers, you'll see fasteners, you'll see these things that'll say ACQ compatible. That means they've added some sort of coating to that uh, whether it be epoxy or some sort of, you know, process that electroplates something to it. Uh, Simpson Strong Time makes what they call Z-Max. Z-Max is acceptable to use with uh, pressure-treated lumber. And the reason for that is because those, those copper, copper in the wood and the zinc in the, you know, the hanger creates together, it's dissimilar metals, it creates electrolysis, creates corrosion and it will corrode that stuff immediately i mean within days i've seen regular hangers touched against copper pt and it's corroding immediately mm -hmm. so something to keep in mind if you're building a deck at the coast i highly 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 recommend using stainless steel if you're within you know a mile of the coast you absolutely should be using stainless steel if you want it to last and be safe for years and years going forward, it's the best bet. Yep. Um, Corey, so I want to attach my ledger to the house, and I'm going to use some really strong fasteners to make sure it's really good. Do I really need to cut the siding off before I put the ledger on, or can I just put the ledger right on top of the siding, uh, even if I use a piece of flashing? 
I, you know, I've seen deck builders. There's a product out there called deck to wall spacers, D2Ws. Uh, and what those do is it's essentially, it looks like a hockey puck with a hole in the middle. Yeah. And they're super heavy duty plastic. And what you do is you put them between the house and the ledger and you put your lag screw or timber lock through that into your wood framing and it holds it off the surface so moisture cannot get trapped there. That seems like the easiest uh, way to go and you don't have to flash it if you're going to use the deck to wall spacer. Correct. That's super smart. We got to take another quick break and then we're going to wrap this show up. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend worries. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today in the show, we're talking about decks and uh, deck framing. We've been kind of sticking on uh, deck framing here for a couple segments. You know, Tony, you were bringing up a lot of random questions that we get, you know, at Par Lumber. People yeah. walk in the door and they ask these questions like, what if I do this? Yeah. I, and you I had a funny one during the break we were just kind of talking about. I feel like these shortcuts, you know, people are always looking for an opportunity to shortcut something, right? And I understand. You were talking about value engineering, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I understand saving money where you can. But when you're talking about safety, right, these decks uh, that you're building you're not the only one on them. Other people are on them. And even though you might not walk close to the edge because it's 29 and three quarters inches off of the ground and you don't have a handrail because you just skirted by, that doesn't mean somebody's not going to fall off. And when they do, you're going to think, man, I wish I would have had a handrail. These rules are in place for a reason. And we're just telling you shortcuts rarely pay off. I had a guy come in and said this exact thing. How high can the deck be off the ground before I have to have a handrail. And I said, it's 30 inches. And he says, well, I'm a, I'm a little more than that. I'm about 32 inches off the ground, but I don't want to have to spring for a handrail. What if I, what if I pile up dirt around the outside of my deck so that from the top of the berm to the surface of the deck, it's less than 30 inches? <laughs> well, in your view, that might be okay. But do you think uh, that uh, an inspector can't see through that? Inspector's going to run a tape down between two deck boards down to the con- concrete footing, and he's going to measure up from the bottom of the concrete footing to the surface of the deck, and he's going to say, hey, this is 33 inches. You don't have a handrail, and now you're in trouble. And so now you don't pass your, your inspection, and you, uh, you know, I don't even know, you know, um, shortcuts, right? I mean, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of other ways you can save money. On a, say, I mean, if you are just trying to build a deck that is as least cost, you know, or as most cost effective as possible, so you say you're building it out of necessity or you have to put a deck in that position or that placement, uh, there's a lot of ways. Again, talk to somebody at Par Lumber Company, talk to a professional and figure out the best framing, you know, the least expensive framing that still meets the proper code. You know, if you have a deck situation like that, you know, nobody says you you have to have the deck flush with the bottom of the door. You know, I've seen decks where you can drop it down a whole foot or seven inches and step down, step down, have one step down onto the deck. That's perfectly okay. It's not ideal, 
you know, people don't like stepping down onto a deck, but it can be done. And you save a lot of money that way if you just get under that, you know, and have it, you know, totally on the up and up. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Um, two by six cedar pro deck, for example, or two by six cedar decking. Uh, it's running about $2, $2.10 a foot right now. It's up to like two twenty dollars now. Uh, depending on what length you're buying. 8s, 10s, 12s, 14s are a little less. Yeah. Um, 16s, 18s, 20s, a little more. Okay. Um, but pressure treated like uh, elite decking from exterior wood, like kind of like outdoor wood. It looks mm-hmm. like outdoor wood. Uh, that's about $1.45 or maybe $1.50 per foot for that product. But I really want to save some money. So... Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to deck the top of my deck with just standard and better fur. So, I mean, what's the problem with that, right? I mean, <laughs> it's just something that you're walking on. Why would I not want to use two by six green dug fur for my deck? Well, you certainly could. You know, nobody's stopping you. Um, but again, it's like anything. You're spending money now that you're going to be respending in a very short period of time versus using a proper product, right? So. I'm going to put that down there. It's going to cost me, let's say, 500 bucks. Well, for 700 bucks, you could have put the proper product down. You know, that's what's that's what's really crazy. I mean, if you think about per square foot and how much lumber is versus doing it right, you know, you're really just not saving that much money and you're cutting the lifespan of that product tremendously. That's a really common one. I just want to put standard and better down. Let me tell you something about- That is about- common. I get that question all the time. Oh, I just needed something temporary. I'm just, it's a rental. I'm trying to sell it. Well, here's like, well, the- you're doing somebody else a disservice. Here's problem numero uno. And, and I'm going to honestly drop the mic with this one. This is it. Two by six, green dug fur, super inexpensive. Let's say 50 cents a foot, maybe, right? A third the price of what you would pay otherwise. But you know what? It's green. And as the sun shines on it, it's going to start to dry. And when it starts to dry, the pitch from inside of that comes right up onto the surface. And then you walk on it. It gets on your shoes. And then you walk in the house and you track it into your carpet and all through your house. And it gets on your furniture. And now guess what? You're replacing the carpet in your house and the decking on your deck outside. (laughs) You don't want to have that product or anything like that product on your deck. A finished deck surface is specifically that, a finished deck surface. And the last thing you want is hot pitch on the top of your deck, attaching to the bottom of your shoes or to your baby's feet or to your dog's mouth or whatever. You just don't want it. That seems like a feasible shortcut, but trust me when I tell you, it is not. No, you make a good point there. <laughs> um, I have a, actually have a couple more things Uh money saving you know things when you're designing a deck yeah here's you'll you'll agree with this one for instance lumber comes in two foot molts right so you have eight foot 10 foot 12 foot you know 14 16 18 20 right so when you're going out to build a deck don't design it at seven feet (laughs) right you know what i mean yeah you're burning a foot for every board you're throwing away a foot on every single board. So design it at eight feet, design it at 10 feet, you know, create these scenarios where you're using the most material for what you're buying. Here's something else. I see else. that all the time. How, here's another this, one. This deck right here, it's five foot, four inches by, you know, 13 feet. Well, you're throwing away a ton of material. I'm going to just, I'm building a 20 foot deck and I'm just going to get straight 20s. That's what I want. Is that value engineered? Oh, no. Here's the thing, folks. You think 
that you want to put down all 20s so that you have no seams anywhere and it's going to be so amazing. 20s are a lot more expensive than well, 8s and cedar. 10s. in cedar. In cedar, for example, right? And then ultimately in the end, you don't notice those seams. If it's put down properly, like if it's not put down right and the fasteners are sticking up or the, the you don't hit a joist or, you know, it splits, you put those screws too close to the end and it causes a problem. Well, that's one thing. But if, if it's installed properly, those seams disappear the second time you walk on the deck. I mean, it's part of the way it's done on a regular basis and seams are not a deal breaker. Well, it's like you walk into any home and you have a, you know, solid wood, oak, hardwood floor, you know, do you expect 20 foot pieces to span your right. entire room? I don't want not. any seams in my hardwood floor. No. They're going to laugh at you. Yeah. I mean, those pieces come out anywhere between six inches and, you know, yeah. eight feet. Very common to have butt joints on your deck all over the place. And nobody is going to tell you, I can't believe you have so many butt joints on your deck. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, that money in your pocket that you that you saved by buying shorter lengths and 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 joining them is definitely going to be um something that you can uh, appreciate yeah currently two by six decking cedar decking eights tens and 12 footers are a bit cheaper than 14 16 18s and 20s mm-hmm. because of you know the cedar pricing is just going up and they're hard to come by so it's just the way it is yeah it is the way it is uh, so anyway, these were good things. Um, here's something else. You know, uh, the least expensive lumber, I want to use the least expensive lumber to build my handrail. I mean, not to not to beat a dead horse, right? But the same thing goes for your handrail. I've seen handrail made out of SPF, spruce pine fir. I have it's too. intended to be used as trim on the outside of your home, and it's not intended to be used for handrail, but they do it because it's inexpensive. And they paint it. And then they paint it. Um, you know, there's a reason why, and I really want to just hang my hat on this. There's a reason why cedar is the chosen wood, cedar and redwood, very common, both of those. There's a reason why they're chosen for projects outside because they have natural tannins that run inside of them and they are, uh, it protects them against the weather. And it also, they have, they're aromatic, it protects them against being eaten by bugs. Yeah. So there's a reason why it's used, especially in the Pacific Northwest. And when you go away from that to something else, you're cutting a corner. And so anyway, I'm not trying to, I'm off my soapbox. I'm just well, saying, here's something interesting there's a you, reason why. You mentioned about SPF that I see. Uh, I see people using it as handrail pickets. And I, I don't think it should be because SPF and in products like that, anything that's finger jointed mm-hmm. um, is a piece of finger joint. It would is not as strong as a solid piece of wood. I right. mean, they, they might argue that and say, well, it's just as strong. The glue is just as strong. But in that application, if you were to give it a swift kick, I guarantee you it'll break at those fingers. Yeah, right. So, And it's right out there in the open. It's not protected by your eave, which most of your siding and trim is, and you're in trouble. That's all the time we got. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. We hope you have a great week. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here. The Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Take care.